0: Ask this in the name of your Son Jesus, Amen. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Uh, my name is Dan Taylor. I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you so much for coming. I uh, this is our last sermon in a Promises series that we're doing through September. Um, Darian's already been talking about this, that we would like to spend this kind of fall working towards transformation. We had this image of that, that there's people who are involved in our community who are locked up, and there is a fountain and a a, a stream, a river, a, a powerful outburst of joy, healing, hope, whatever that 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 is somehow behind a block and and we want to try and and we feel like God is calling us to 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 test that boundary and to move past it. And one of the things that we tried to do for that is to if we're going to move toward healing and hope, we wanted to try and make this place and you safe. And we believe that that God's promises help to make us safe. That that is that that is the thing that we have been called to do is to, is to be safe and to be whole and to be healed. There are sometimes when we talk about Christianity and talk about following Jesus that it just sounds like another list of tasks for you to do, right? That like you come to know Jesus and it's just like, and here's the list of things, and you're just like, right, okay, if I'm gonna be a good person, I gotta do that, 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 and that. And that is not at all what Jesus has called us to. Jesus cares much more About your wholeness than your labor. And he cares much more about your healing than your behavior. And as much as we want to change those things and move towards transformation, for those of us that have been hurt, for those of us that have been wounded, sometimes that transformation feels very, very, very scary. And what we're trying to do with these promises of God is to help you understand that no matter what happens, if we are with Jesus, we are safe. If there are wounds that we have on our body, we heal them by treating them gently. If I get a cut on my arm, we're going to we're going to cover that up. We're going to we're going we're going to leave it alone, we're going to make sure it gets air, we're going to make sure it gets covered up. We're going to but we're gonna treat it gently and then healing happens. I don't have to do anything extra. I don't have to work harder for that healing to happen. My job is, the task that I've been given in order for that healing to take place is to, to make this cut safe. And I've been reading a lot of, of thinkers and, 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 and people who work in healing professions and work in healing our bodies and our minds, and one of the things that they often say is that the task of of healing is not to do the healing but it is to the ta- the work is to create safety to make all of us feel safe enough that we can let down our guards that we can put down some of the armors that we've patched together to protect ourselves, and to give Jesus room to like okay, now the healing can happen and we would like to do that by giving you these incredibly important promises that you are loved. Before the creation of the world, you were seen and known and loved. There is not a thing that you have done or can do that is going to change that. You can't add something to it or take it away. The nature of God is that he, from the beginning of the universe, loved you. And when you were far from him, he crossed heaven and earth to be with you. You are loved. You are never alone. We feel so easily abandoned in our world. And when we face struggles, we feel misunderstood. And when we're hurt by other people, we feel traumatized and we feel like there's nowhere to go. But what we've been told constantly over and over and over again in the Bible is that I am with you. I am with you, God says. I am with you. I am with you. And there is never a po- point, no matter what we are feeling, that where we are, where we are alone, where we are abandoned, we are never, ever alone. And then last week, Darian spoke about we, you will always have enough. And this is the hardest one promise for me to live in. Be, but it it's true that God is telling us over and over again that I'm a good father and I know that the circumstances don't, look about, don't, don't, don't always appear as if you have an abundance, but he's saying, trust me, there is nothing that I am withholding from you. There is nothing that is, that is needful for your salvation, for your healing, for your safety, for your eternity that I'm holding back from you. I want to give you every good gift, but I'm not going to give you gifts that will kill you. And this promise is true that, that you and I will always have enough. And now today I'm going to talk about the promise that you are eternal. That, that this physical body, whatever happens to it, wherever it goes, it's, this, this isn't the end. And that any experience you're you're having of pain, of trauma, of struggle, that that is a temporary state. And that your future is held by Jesus, and your future is eternal, and it is free of pain, and it is free of any kind of fear, and it is free of any kind of judgment. That is the future that we have in Jesus. And what we're Counting on is that these promises like come together like some giant Voltron of promise to give you safety. That is a very specific re- reference, I know. Space robots coming together to protect people from evil. Just be. Jump in with me. You can do it. Like, it's not that weird. You've all watched a sci-fi movie. Voltron, they're lions. They come together, and then they're like, we're going to make a sword, and we're going to protect people from the evil one. That, that's what these, we're hoping that these promises do for us psychologically and spiritually. Guys up here are really into it. You at the back. <laughs> these guys really jumping in on the Voltron illustration. You less so. That's okay, you're gonna be thinking about it. Next time you see a Voltron thing. But that's what we're counting on. It's that these promises are going to come together and you're going to have safety. And that when you feel stretched beyond your limits and taken out of a place where you're let, where you, uh, taken out of where you feel safe into where that you feel dangerous uh, and, and, and unsafe, that, that, that you can remind yourself at that point that, no, there is, a, there is a giant robot of God's promises that are here to protect me. And God gave us this most clearly in probably one of the world's most famous poems ever, in any language. God inspired this poem. And, and, and let's read it together, right? Like, if we could do that, can you do that with me? Can we all read this together? I'll start, and you just jump in with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. There's a defiance in this poem. And it's a fascinating defiance because if you've been following Jesus for a while and if you're on the outside, if you're new, that's okay. But just like for those of us that have been following Jesus a while, we know that this poem doesn't show up when things are going awesome. This poem is something that we go back to when we do not feel like we are by, by still waters and green pastures. This is a poem that we go back to when we feel like we are in the valley of the shadow of death. This is a poem that we go back to when we feel like we are in the presence of our enemies and every instinct in our body and spirit says, I need to run or I need to fight. And at that moment, God is saying, like, actually, let's eat. (laughs) We're in the presence of our enemies. I don't know about you guys, but, like, my fists go up, I get, you know, and it's just like, and I'm, jittery and jesus says like let's have a nice meal now i have brought a picnic right because jesus is saying at that moment i'm here you're safe it doesn't matter what's going on out there what valley we're in valley of life valley of death whatever i'm here you're safe So there's a defiance in this where through this poem we remind ourselves of what God has said is true. It doesn't matter how many of my enemies are around me. It doesn't matter what geographic location I'm in. It doesn't matter how dark the circumstances are. It doesn't matter if the world is chaotic. It doesn't matter if my own mind is chaotic. I am safe because I am with Jesus. And no matter what is happening in this short moment, I know the reality of my life is that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days in my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when we are faced with circumstances that cause us to doubt that, we defiantly come back at it with the truth of what God has given us. You are loved You are never alone. You will always have enough, and you are eternal. Now, today we're going to be talking about the promise of forever, and that you are eternal. And... And there's some people in the room that I already know and when I talk about Eternity, there's some of you that jumped right on board. You're like super excited. You're like, yes, I am very in on Eternity. Please just tell me more about Eternity. I am ready to jump in all the way and be super excited about it. And if that's you, awesome. I love you. You, have, you should feel that way um, and, and you should never let anyone change that, okay? But there are other people that when I said Eternity, you started to go like, ugh and you started to feel a little bit heavy in your shoulders, and maybe you've started to feel something starting to press on your chest a little bit, because if you're honest, you don't know if you love eternity as much as you feel like you ought to. And if that's you, I gotta be honest with you, that's me too. I didn't always love the promise that you are eternal. And that's for a whole variety of reasons. Like, first of all, there's just some really wonky ideas about what eternity is that just exist in our world, right? Like, I know a lot of people that think that when our physical body dies, then we turn into angels and get to come back to Earth and have adventures. That's highway to heaven, not Christianity. (laughs) Okay? And I know that that television show from the 80s very influenced a lot of people's theology, but it ought not to have, okay? That is not, we do not turn into angels, okay? We're not quite sure of a lot of things, but that is definitely not happening, all right? And then there's the other thing that I often got when I was a kid, where, because I went to kind of a I was involved in a fundamentalist, revivalist type place where you get the revival preacher that's like, heaven is gonna be like this forever. And I was like, oh boy. This forever. Okay, right? And I know that some of you are uncomfortable laughing at that, but, but let's be honest for a half second, okay? Let's just allow the crack of truth to be in us and not judge our own reactions, to be like, I don't know, you've sat in a revival meeting being like, I don't know if I want to spend eternity with y'all, right? <laughs> let's just tell the truth. All right? So I get it. And there's the, also the issue that once we get past that, there's also the issue that it, sometimes it feels embarrassing. You know? There's a common thing, if you kind of are in the kind of like academic-y, hipster-y worlds that I kind of live in, there's this idea that like, oh, well, it's so embarrassing to, to want eternal reward, right? There's this like... Quote from a television show where the guy's like, Hey, if you're the kind of person that needs some sort of eternal reward to be a good person, then that, then, then if you need that, then you're a really selfish, awful person. And it's like, and everybody's like, Yeah, that's wise, which is wise until you think about it for a half a second and be like, Yeah, everybody's selfish, doofus, right? <laughs> Let's be honest about this. We're embarrassed that, like, oh, well, if I do what God wants me to, maybe I'll get heaven, but I should just love doing good for good's sake because I shouldn't be selfish. But guess what? Human beings are selfish. Like, I hate to break this to you. If you are, like, new to the planet or if you're just a recently, like, if you're just, like, an artificial intelligence that, like, broke out of your programming and achieved sentience yesterday and you're, like, translating this into binary on YouTube, humans are selfish, all right? That is the world in which we live. And maybe for selfish humans, having a little bit of a cookie that, like, if you're good to people here, there's a reward for it on the other side, isn't the worst thing that we could possibly imagine. And as much as I, even in my kind of, like, li- like weird, you know, progressive Christianity things working toward, like, was embarrassed about heaven. You know who's not embarrassed about heaven? Jesus. Jesus is very clear about pointing out eternity as a reward. If we can go to the next slide. He... It specifically speaks of eternity as a punishment or a reward in John 3.15 3, 3, 4, 6, and John 3.16, in John 3.36, in John 4.14, in John 4.36, in John 5.24, in John 5.39, in John 6.27, in John 6.40, John 6.47, John 6.54, John 6.68, John 10.28, John 12.25, John 12.50, John 17.2, and John 17.3. All of those times, he's real fine with eternity. And did you notice something else that all of these passages have in common? They're just the ones in John. (laughs) Jesus is very comfortable being like, hey, if you follow me here, there is reward eternally. He feels no shame about that. And being concerned about your eternal life and wanting to improve the quality of that life is not selfish, it is wise. So we ought to listen to this and pay attention and overcome some of the us that are like, oh, I'm embarrassed about that. Don't be, because our Lord and Savior is, isn't in any way embarrassed, okay? But there's something deeper than that if I'm to be really honest about my conflicted feelings about the promise of eternity. Um, Because in the circumstances in which I was raised and in the churches in which I was raised, eternity often felt more like, less like a promise and more like a threat. And maybe I'm the only person who had this, but if you were taught that at any moment all of the people that you love could be whisked away, and if you weren't right, then you would just be left here, that's a scary thing to believe as a child. And I spent a lot of my childhood walking into rooms where I expected someone to be there and they weren't, and the first thought that came into my head is everyone's raptured and I'm stuck here. And we can laugh at that, but it's also weird, right? It is a weird thing To have adults come to you, and this happened to be multiple times in my childhood, come to you and say, like, you really shouldn't be planning for any kind of future because Jesus is definitely going to return before 1998. (laughs) Let's say this out loud. I've been around a while. Jesus was supposed to return in 1988. He was supposed to return in 1994. He was supposed to return definitely before Y2K right? He was supposed to return multiple times in the 2010s. It sounds less like a promise than a threat. And if For those of you that can't possibly understand that why any of us would ever think that—that—that—that it it was always a promise—and how could you ever have any kind of fear associated with this—I'm not asking you to feel it. I'm just asking you to: Can you recognize that we're not lying about it when we're talking, telling you this truth? Can you just recognize that that might have happened? That that preacher that you loved that said, like, everything's going to get whisked away and you better get right or you're going to be left behind. And, and like, it's going to happen any second now. Can you understand how that might have put into some of the children that they were talking to a fear that was disproportionate to the God that they were called to worship? Okay? So there's something deeper going on with this promise when eternity starts to feel less like a promise and more like a threat. And the reality is, I used to tell this joke when I started doing comedy, cause I got, I didn't start doing, I've been a pastor for a long time, I've been a comedian for less of that time. And I started doing comedy cause I wanted to get to know non-Christian people and be around them. And so I was doing, I did shows for like, rooms full of drunken oil riggers. Cause like, I had, I had a clean five minutes and you could go do a corporate for like $5. And it was just like, wow. Five dollars really meant a lot to me in 2012. Five dollars actually still means a lot to me in 2022. But so I would, and I would, and I was never worried. And then I had a church show, my first church show, and I was panicking. And I was like talking to a comedy friend, and I was like, "I'm so scared to do this church show." And he was just like, "Dude, you do shows." For like drunken oil riggers all the time, how could you be scared of church people? And I said, drunken oil riggers didn't make me feel bad about myself as a child. And we have to be aware that when we're telling people the promise of eternity, if we're not good people to spend eternity with, then maybe it's not very much of a selling point. If the, same, if the promise that you have is the same people that make your life dangerous now will be with you forever, you can understand how the promise of eternity gets twisted. Okay? So when we talk about eternity, we're not talking about a church service forever, right? When we talk about eternity, we're not talking about some sort of alternate reality where we're floating on clouds and playing harps and wearing diapers right like that's not that's not what we're talking about what are we talking about we're talking about this when we talk about eternity We talk about this image. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. He will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. And then the one who was seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Eternity is everything new. Everything new. Which is why it's so important to Jesus that we don't get too comfortable here now. Because the things that we are comfortable with are going to be made new. And if we're satisfied with the way that life is here, if it's working so well for us that we can't imagine change, then we are going to find that twisted in eternity. Those of us who are mourning now are not going to be mourning then Those of us who feel small and weak now are not going to feel small and weak then. God himself will be with us. And this is really interesting because I was always taught that heaven was an escape. The Bible was basic instructions before leaving earth. That the that what we were hoping for when we followed Jesus was that when it got real bad here that we would get whisked away. That is not the religion of Jesus. That is not the faith of Jesus and it's not what the Bible teaches. Eternity is heaven comes here and makes this right. If you're looking for an escape, you're in the wrong room. Jesus empowers us to engage and live here now. That is eternity. Every tear wiped from every eye. No more mourning or death or crying or pain or war. And this has massive implications for us. Not just on like how we do church and how we operate our lives, but if we can go to the next one. The reality of eternity has massive implications on how we think about justice, how we think about work, how we think about play. What what are we going to do for eternity? Well, what if you could garden and the ground didn't fight back against you? There are no slugs in eternity. Those came with the fall. Right? It has massive implications for Family. Jesus said in, in, the kingdom, in the kingdom of God that no one, will be, uh, no one will be given in marriage, right? How does this change our family relationships? How, how do we relate to a creation that, that is now made whole? And do we then, as whole people, get to explore this entire universe? Is that, that's what C.S. Lewis thought. He thought that like once we got healed and the kingdom of God was realized in, his, in its fullness, then we were going to get to build spaceships. We're not building spaceships now because we're going to make the rest of the space worse. We're going <laughs> to wait until we're... But relationships, money and economies, what if we no longer... What happens, in a we have such a hard time imagining this. What, do we, how, what does it look like for us to live in a world where we don't evaluate people based on their ability to produce or consume anything? Where it doesn't matter. Everyone has what they need. How does that change our eternity? How do we have to be rewired to like that world where we have been taught to thrive on competition? It has impacts on animals. Lions are lying down with lambs. I don't understand how this is going to happen. And also, um, everything is like so everything is great for everyone. The Bible says this clearly, including the animals. and yet, Isaiah is very clear that we also get to eat uh, choice meats and aged wines. So I don't know how we're going to get the meat from the animals if we're, anyway. Somehow they'll just volunteer it, I guess. I don't, like I'm good, yeah. But, and ourselves, right? When we have new resurrection bodies, how do we relate to ourselves? And how do I relate to myself? And how do you relate to yourself if you're not working through your pain and your trauma? Who are you when you're completely healed? We don't even know that yet. You're going to be a completely new person. Because all of the things that have happened to you to shape you who you are, all of that pain is healed. And you just feel safe wherever you are because Jesus is there. We don't have time to go into all of these. But I do want to talk about the clearest promise of eternity that we have because some of the promises are not clear if we could go to the next one this is how jesus summed it up and he gets quite clear about it this is from a portion of the bible called the high priestly prayer he's about to go to the cross and he sits down with his uh disciples and he prays for them And this is what he prays. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son son, so that the son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. This is eternal life, knowing Jesus. This is eternal life, knowing Jesus. This is the promise, knowing Jesus. And when we talk about the promise of eternity, think about knowing and being known. That every secret that you keep is known, and you're loved in the midst of it. Everything that you hide to keep safe because you're terrified that the people around you are going to damage it, every dream that you've hidden, every, every soft place that you've protected because I did that once and I, that hurt too bad. I'm going to hide that away. Imagine that all being out on the table and feeling completely safe and loved. Imagine... Being in the presence of the almighty creator of heaven and earth and having access to the answer to every question that has ever come into your mind. And all of the things that you find confusing are now being revealed to you by the one who weaved that tapestry together and said, I'm sorry that you could only see a small portion of it for a little while and that was really uncomfortable but I had a whole thing, and now can you see the whole thing? And doesn't that make a difference? That is eternal life. That is eternal life. That is eternal life. I will know Jesus, and knowing Jesus changes everything about who we are and how we interact with people. And the beautiful thing about eternal life is that it doesn't just exist in the future. Eternal life exists now as well. Eternal life isn't a thing that we have to die in order to get there, right? It's not like, final boss, death, now I have achieved, you know? That's not the way that it works. The life that exists in eternity is overflowing back to us now if we're willing to, 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 to participate in it. Can we go to the next one? Peter writes about this, and he's talking to people who are in the middle of abject suffering. They are having their homes stolen. Some of them are being persecuted and killed. Some of them are, being, are, are, are having uh, everything about their lives just, uh, just torn into pieces because of Jesus. And he says this to them, The God of all grace, who called you to eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will, him, will himself restore you and make you strong firm, and steadfast. Some of you are in the middle of the suffering right now, and it doesn't feel like a little while. It feels like a long time. It feels like this has been a long fight with your body, with your brain, with other people. This suffering does not feel like a little while. But what Peter is saying, Peter's not dismissing that. Peter is saying that in light of eternal glory, it is going to be a little while. And that your future, no matter how you feel right now, no matter how your body works right now, no matter how your brain works right now, no matter your relations with other people, your future is that you are going to be restored, strong, firm, and steadfast. That is who you are. You are not what the world has told you. You are not what the collection of your traumas has made you. You are not weak and insignificant. You are restored, strong, firm, and steadfast. That eternal life creeps in now. You're like, but what do I have to do to do it? Nothing. There is not a thing that you can do to earn this. There is not a thing that you can do to manufacture it. There is not a thing that you can do to purchase or consume it. This is a reality that we step into by saying yes to Jesus, by saying yes to his ways, by saying yes to the the places where he lives, and defiantly repeating to ourselves the truth that, you know what? The job stinks, the economy stinks, the government definitely stinks, the, my family stinks, the church stinks, big C, we're fine. We're like. But the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters, he restores my soul leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And you know what? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we say that And we make it true in ourselves because Jesus has already made it true in himself. And he's just inviting us to have it be true in us as well. Let's pray. God, sometimes your promises seem too good. It seems too good to be true that we could be restored strong, firm, and steadfast. It seems too good to be true that there will be a day coming where there will be no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It feels too good to be true that you are making all things new. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come on us and reveal to us the truth that you're even better than that. That you're even better and infinitely more than we could ask or imagine. You are not bound by our imaginations. And we want to experience this eternal life that you've given us because we believe that that will set us free to be the people that you have called us to be, the people that you intended us to be, and the people that we are going to find the most joy in being. So as we leave here, and go back to a distracting world with all of the things that are are coming around us and where we often have to stand in the presence of our enemies. Help us to be reminded that you are with us now and for eternity. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus.